but once you've found 3 John, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do that. And we're going to look at the first eight verses tonight. The Bible says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish uh, above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Um, or rather, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Well, the book uh, addresses three different individuals that are part of the church. And the first one is the one who the book is written to, and his name is Gaius. We're going to look at Gaius tonight and talk about how he was an encourager. Gaius, the encourager. Let's talk about that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I, I believe everybody here tonight wants to be an encouragement. Lord, I don't think there's a person in the room who wakes up every morning with the purpose of going around and burning down relationships and causing problems and trying to discourage and destroy. But sometimes, even though we don't start out that way, our actions can become that. And so, Lord, being an encouragement is a choice that we must make each and every day. And then, Lord, each and every moment of each and every day. And so help us to look at this man who had a fine reputation in the church of being caring and hospitable. And may we, Lord, make an effort to follow his model. And may this church be filled with members, with attendees, with Christians who lift up one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the book of 3 John is an interesting book because it's the only book in the Bible that we know of that was written, or only book of the New Testament, that was written to a local church member that was not in church ministry. First and Second Timothy and Titus were written to individuals, but those uh, individuals were pastors. Gaius was just a member of a small house church on the outskirts of Ephesus. In fact, if you do some studying up on Gaius, you see him popping up in the book of Acts and again in 1 Corinthians. And he seems, uh, every time there seems to be action happening around the city of Ephesus, whether it's exciting, in any way, Gaius' name just seems to end up getting mentioned. And so Gaius was a prominent member of a local church in the, uh, the, in the region of Ephesus, of one of the churches there in the region of Ephesus. And so uh, this book, if you're a church member is written to you the way 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are written to me as a pastor. And I don't know that anyone, uh, I've ever heard anyone frame it quite that way. But if a book is written to a church member about how to be a good church member, boy, we should sit up and take note of what it says and do our very best uh, to follow it. So the book describes three different types of people found in the average church. And I've attended many churches in my life. 
Uh, one day I sat down and counted them all up. I don't remember that number off the top of my head, but I would guess somewhere between six and ten different churches I've been a member of in my 36 years of life. And I have to say that these three people described in uh, the book of Third John are present in pretty much every church. There's Gaius. Gaius was an encourager. Next week we'll look at Diotrephes. Diotrephes was a dictator. And the third is Demetrius, who was an exemplar. An exemplar, someone who set out to be an example of how other Christians ought to live. So uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at each personality and uh, have a better understanding of them. What? Uh, let me just ask this question by way of introduction, and these, uh, these will be on that half sheet for you to fill out there. What does it take for God's church to be truly effective? I don't know about you, but I, I want to know that my life has purpose. You all with me tonight? I don't want to devote hours of my life to something just so it can exist and the wheels can spin. How many of you here have ever been stuck in the dirt, stuck in the mud, stuck in the snow, and the wheels just, and you can't seem to get traction? You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to go to a church where the wheels just spin and doesn't go anywhere. Boy, I want to be a part of a church that is making an impact in the community. I want to be a part of a church that is accomplishing the purpose that God gave it. Well, let me give you uh, some things here by way of introduction, and we'll get back to Gaius in a few minutes. These are critical to understanding the book, I believe. What does it take for God's church to be truly effective? Well, uh, first I'd say we need purity. We need purity. And I think a good standard is if the average person in the church was as fill in the blank with the word I'm going to give here in a moment, here the word's pure, was as pure as I am, how pure would the church be? Um, Would it be labeled cold, hot, or lukewarm? And we need purity. We need men and women who are pure-hearted. Not only while everyone has their eyes on them, But when no one's watching, we we not only need purity for the church to be effective, we need prayer. We need prayer. We cannot emphasize prayer enough. Um, How much, I I would love to know the number, maybe I wouldn't want to know, maybe I'd be scared or discouraged by the, the number. If we were to find out the average prayer time of each uh, of the of the members of this church i wonder what that number would be would it be above 10 or below 10 i mean in a day and church you can't find revival anywhere in this country or rather anywhere in the history of the world without prayer i mean people who are prayer warriors people who pray by the way when you start living a life that's pure or attempting to live a life this pure, you realize how difficult that is, and boy, you realize how much you need to pray. Uh, here's another one. We need peace. We need peace. You cannot be a church that is effective when you have infighting. 
can't. You show me a church where the people are attacking each other, I'll show you a church that is not effective. You say, well, do you know what brother or sister such and such did to me? As, as kind as I know how to tell you, you need to go to that person and work it out. And if you can't do that, you can't bring yourself to do that, then you just need to get over it. I don't mean to be unkind, because I may have been the one that did it to you. But you can't hold on to grudges forever. It's going to ruin you. But please understand me, it's about so much more than me or you. It's about the eternal work of the church. We need peace. We need to lay our grudges to rest. We need passion. Passion. There's a lot of Christians that are pure, that pray, and boy, they're peaceful. But they have no passion, no zeal. And you need to get a fire lit under, under you. We look around our country today, we look around our area, and it's godless. The average person you meet outside of the walls of this church knows very little about the Bible anymore. And, and they need Jesus. And we need people who are passionate about right. One more. We need purpose. We need purpose. As a church and as individuals, we need purpose. If there's one thing that the coronavirus has revealed to me, it's that for the average person, their real God is not God, it's money. I'm amazed at how people are able to miss church but not work over the virus. I'm not speaking to any of you you're here. People will not go to church on Sunday, but they will go to church on Monday. Do we not trust that God can provide for our finances? Is our purpose in life to make money and buy a home and have children and live the American dream, or is our purpose to build the kingdom of heaven? Which one is it? We need a church full of people who are pure, who are prayerful, who are peaceful, not only with each other, but even within themselves, that are driven by a passion and know single-mindedly what their purpose is. I trust that everyone here this evening has a desire to be an encourager to their fellow Christian and other spiritual leaders. When other people get around you, I want to ask you this, are they encouraged or discouraged? I used to watch it uh, when I was a college student. By my sophomore year, I had it figured out. It was amazing. You, uh, on opening day of college, the college at the time, it was a small college, uh, but large for a Christian college. At the time, uh, I was a sophomore. That college ran 1,800 to 2,000 students. And I'd say probably half of that, um, half of the student body were freshmen. And so you'd see freshmen show up, uh, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, rather, 
for um, opening day. And you'd have a kid come from a church in Colorado, and you'd have a kid come from a church in Florida, and another kid come from a church in Arizona, and then you'd have some kid come from a church in Europe, and you'd have some kid come from uh, another church, you know, up in the Northwest, and they would all have a sour spirit about them. And within two hours of being on campus, with 2,000 other people on the campus, somehow they would magically find each other. I watched it every year. Every year. Every year. And they would become best buddies. Boy, they didn't know each other. But there was a vibe that was put off. Almost like a radio wave being sent off. And they all had a receiver to come together and become best friends within just a couple of hours of being on campus. You know, I've seen it not only on Christian college campuses, I've seen it in church. You have someone running around the church, and they are just, they're sour milk. You know what happens? Someone else's milk about the church starts to sour, and they run right to the side of the person who's sour to encourage their milk to be more sour. Misery loves company. I'm not happy in this church, and at the first sign someone else isn't happy, I'm going to be right by their side to make sure they're not happy as well. Hey, I didn't know you a month ago when you were on uh, the team of the church, and you were all for the mission of the church, but now that you're sideways with the deacons or the pastor or the church program, hey, you want to go to the mall together? Hey, you, you want to comment on all my social media? I'll comment on all your social media. You know, that's not really being an encourager. I, I believe everybody here would say they want to be an encourager. But many times, if we're not careful, we get drawn into being a discourager. John wrote his letter to Gaius, a member of a small church on the outskirts of Ephesus. The church had its share of schisms and divisions. Some things never change. John would commend Gaius and then later in the book Demetrius, and he would reprimand Diotrephes. If Jesus could come down in the flesh and sit with you one-on-one and tell you what it is that you could do to be a better church member, would you want to know? Would you want to know? Jesus showed up tonight and said, in the flesh, he said, I'm going to take each one of you out of here into the pastor's office. I'm going to sit in the pastor's desk because I am the good shepherd. I am the head shepherd. And I'm going to sit each one of you down in that chair in the pastor's office. And I'm going to tell you exactly what your problem is and how you could be a better church member. Would you want to know and would it change anything? Boy, I sure hope your attitude is, yes, it would. Here John points to Gaius and he says, great job, great job. You are an encouragement to your fellow Christians and to your spiritual leaders. God took the letter to a personal church member, uh, took this letter to a personal church member and had it added to the Holy Bible. God is allowing us to take a look into this small church and he is saying, here's how to do it. Gaius and Demetrius, here's how not to do it, diatrophies. It's good, good, bad. 
Good, good, bad. We're going to begin looking at Gaius, and we'll look at Diotrephes next week. I propose that a strong church is not brought about solely by having a spiritual pastor and a few good men and women in the crowd. A strong church is built upon a foundation of many, many individuals that determine to encourage one another by, by prioritizing God and godliness. It's a culture that gets down into the, into the church body and is, uh, is felt, it's strong, it's serious, it's sincere. And if you don't buy into the godliness culture, boy, you just don't feel real comfortable. Uh, this uh, strong church is built on people who are passionate for God. It is built on people who do whatever they can to advance the gospel message through their local church. Tonight, we're going to look at the life of Gaius, and we're going to see three ways, three ways that his life was an encouragement to those around him, and see how that we can model our Christian life to help advance the cause of the church. All right, number one, notice, talking about Gaius, notice his health, his health, all right? Look down at Third uh, John and verse number one. Verse number one. The Bible says, the elder, that's John. John unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now, uh, we have to sort of read between the lines here. And it's hard to know if this is just John's stylistic writing or if more is to be implied here. But it would seem to be that John was saying to Gaius, man, spiritually you're thriving and your physical health seems to be lagging behind your spiritual health. And it seems as though John is saying to Gaius, I would love if your physical health was brought up to where your spiritual health is because then you would be in good shape. Uh, hold your place in Third John and turn over to Second Corinthians chapter number 12. I have noticed in my many years of uh, uh, being a Christian, I have noticed that God oftentimes allows poor health to come to some of His choicest saints. People to be sick and sickly. And sometimes people who are sick or sickly are some of the most godly people I have ever met. It is though God uses poor health in order to refine and to bring the impurities of their life to the surface and make them a stronger Christian. Uh, God oftentimes sends physical suffering to those who are doing a great work for him. Great work for him. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse number 6. It says, uh, Paul speaking here, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, uh, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Paul speaking here, a physical problem, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it may depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, what was the thorn in the flesh 
that, um, that Paul had. Some say it was proof that he was married. I don't think that's what that means. I don't say that, amen? But what was the thorn in the flesh that, um, that Paul had? Um, many have speculated that it was his sight. It was his sight. And that he was uh, not able to see real well. And that God gave him his vision back after he had been blinded on the road of Damascus, but didn't give it back to him all the way. Now, again, that's speculation. But whatever it was, it was a physical ailment that plagued Paul and seriously limited his quality of life. Look back at verse number 9 there, the end of the verse. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather... Notice the binary option here. Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said this, he said, I have become such a big deal in Christianity that if I didn't have this physical ailment to humble me, I would really be tempted to be boastful and proud. He said, God has given me this to humble me. And he said this, he said, it requires a physical health problem in order for the power of Christ to rest upon me. Now, I, I'm not going to go sign up for poor health. Amen? But what if that's what it took for you to have the power of Christ really upon you? How about this? If poor health comes your way, are you willing to frame it in the context of the Apostle Paul? Or quite possibly this church member named Gaius, who seemed to have a health problem. If that's what it takes. I, I don't see him in the room, so I feel a little bit more comfortable talking about this. If you're within earshot for the Scarpetti, um, uh, uh, please understand that uh, I'm not trying to embarrass you here. I look at someone like a Mike Scarpetti. I know that before I was the pastor here, he would give his entire summer to volunteering around the church. I don't know that there's been a layman who's poured himself more into this church than Mike Scarpetti. There's some who may be as much, but few, if any, more. And about four years ago, God decided to allow his legs to be affected. You know, I've watched Brother Scarpetti as God has used this to refine him and make him even more godly. Make him an even stronger influence within this church. You know, he's faced a lot of dark days. He's faced a lot of dark days. There have been times where he's been flat on his back, wondering what in the world God was doing to him. I watched God do the same thing with Mike Vara over here with cancer. Sometimes God sends health problems... Because he's trying to refine us. We see here that Gaius was praised. But John took a moment out of his apostle to address what seemed to be a health struggle. Letter A, we see his physical, um, uh, his physical problems. His physical problems. I, I got ahead of myself there and didn't give you the letter. Letter B, notice his spiritual prosperity. His spiritual prosperity. Look at verse number 2. His physical problems, his spiritual prosperity. Look at verse 2. Or rather, look at, I'm sorry, look at verse number 1. The elder unto the well-beloved. Boy, Gaius was 
the apple of John's eye, if you will, whom I love in the truth, be loved. Look here, three times in less in just half a verse, in just half a verse, uh, John says to him, you are loved. Well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Even as thy soul prospereth. Now, Gaius, at this point, no doubt, had been saved many years and had taken the time to really grow in the Lord. Many have speculated, many theologians uh, that I read this week in preparation for this message, many, many theologians speculate that Gaius was a personal convert of John. That John led Gaius to the Lord and even discipled Gaius and established him there in that Ephesus Church and that Gaius was to John what Timothy was to Paul. And uh, you can see uh, that there is a special bond, a special relationship uh, that these two men clearly enjoyed. Can I just say that when you get the privilege of leading someone to Christ and then you have the privilege of discipling them and watching them become a solid Christian in the faith, you share a bond with that person like you share with no one else. With no one else. I think of two men who are down in a, in a foxhole or down in the trenches fighting a war together. Uh, they share a bond uh, that no one else shares. I, I, I think of two doctors who are in an in a eight, nine hour surgery that's intense, saving someone's life. Those doctors do that enough times. They have a bond they share together that no one else shares. A David and Jonathan type bond uh, from uh, the Old Testament there. And uh, Listen, when you lead someone to Christ, and then you disciple them and you get them established in the church. You share a bond with them like you share with a few others. Gaius was thriving spiritually. He was prosperous spiritually. Gaius was that tree planted by the rivers of water that we read about in Psalm number one. Number, uh, Psalm one. Number one here, point number one is we see Gaius's health. Number two, notice his honor. His honor. Letter A, notice his reputation. His reputation. Look down with me at verse number 3. We see that not only was he a good man spiritually, but he had a great reputation. The Bible says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Now, uh, John is not present in the churches, but there are people who are going back and forth between the church that um, Gaius attends and the Apostle John, and they're giving reports regularly of what's going on in the church. And one of the bright spots of the church that Gaius attended was Gaius. He was a solid bedrock of a Christian that was just uh, uh, there and foundational to the church being exactly what it should have been, both in uh, uh, position and disposition. And can I tell you that reputation matters. Now, reputation is not everything, but reputation matters. Character matters more than reputation. And if you have the right character, reputation will take care of itself. But there isn't a person in here today uh, that, if they were honest, would not say that reputation is important. All of us care what other people think about us 
on some level. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 1, Solomon worded it this way. He said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather uh, than silver and gold. Uh, What is the one thing that many people value over money? Can I tell you what it is? It's their good name. Their good name. If I offered you a hundred million dollars in a private island in the Pacific where the weather was perfect all the time, but in exchange for it, uh, you would become a criminal outlaw that no one could stand or want to have anything to do with, would you take the money? Some of you would say, yes, sign me up. But most people, if they're honest and really weigh it out, would say no. No. Our name matters. Our name matters. Now, all of us, uh, when, uh, when, uh, when my name or your name comes up with other people in casual conversation, all of us have a reputation. Okay? Everyone here, when you say such and such, what do you think of when you think of such and such? All right? Um, every, everyone thinks of something. Uh, what do people think of when they hear your name? For some people, um, uh, he's known as, well, he's winsome, or he's funny, or she's got a great personality, or maybe they say, she can really sing, or maybe he's a great Bible teacher, or man, that guy there, he's faithful to church. How about some of these? Man, he he talks a lot. (laughs) Or, she's good for the latest gossip. You want to know the latest gossip? Go talk to sister such and such. That's not a reputation you want to have. Or, he may not be real spiritual, but he sure is a whole lot of fun to be around. Maybe when your name comes up, people think, boy, she's, she's inconsistent. Or that person's spirit is just awful. He or she has an angry spirit. When people talk about you while you are not around, what do they say? Of all the positive things that you could say about a person, the most positive is this. He's a great Christian. Or, she really has a deep love for Jesus Christ. Boy, don't you want people to say that when your name comes up? Not, oh man, he's Irish. He gets angry all the time. Or, you know what? That person over there, they're just, they're just awful. No, no, no. I want people to say about me, he's a great Christian. You ought to want people to say about you, boy, he or she deeply loves Jesus Christ. When folks visited Gaius' church, they came back and told the Apostle John, this guy, Gaius, is the real deal. That guy walks in truth. Boy, I want a reputation like that. Letter B, we see John's rejoicing. John's rejoicing. Look at verse number 3. John, the elder, John says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Look at verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Sometimes I pick up the phone and I call different church members, and it's funny the different responses you get when they first pick up the phone. 
when I call Miss Pat Blake, she says, what did I do now? <laughs> or she says, am I in trouble? You know, what Miss Blake, Miss Pat wants to hear is that her pastor approves of the way she's living her life. And, and uh, if I, I would hope that uh, from where I sit as the leader and the pastor, that if I were to pull you in my office or I were to call you on the phone and, and I were to express displeasure with something I saw in your life, I hope that would bother you. I hope that you would take pause and, and really give that consideration and thought. I have counselors in my life that are allowed to speak openly and freely to me. And at times, they have spoken and said to me, Hey, you have a character flaw here or there. And boy, when they do that, I, I, take, I take their words as very weighty. Boy, I don't, I don't want to be that Christian who's causing a leader not to rejoice. How do you make your spiritual leaders happy? Say, oh, I'm not supposed to worry about making you happy. I'm supposed to worry about making God happy. Yes, that's true. But if I'm in line with God, then what you do to make God happy should also make me happy, no? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Am I allowed to say that as your pastor? Follow me as I follow Christ. As long as I'm following Christ, boy, get in line and follow the leader. What do, you, what, what do you do, how do you go about making your spiritual leaders happy? Here's the answer. Walk in truth. That's it. Walk in truth and be nice about it. Jesus is light. Now, now watch this here, okay? I, I wish I had a good object illustration for this. I tried to work out an object illustration here. I just couldn't figure out a way to do it in the dark. And maybe if I had called you, you would have been able to tell me how to do it, okay? All right, but, but, but stay with me here, okay? I'm called to walk with Jesus. So here I am, following truth. Jesus is light, He is truth. Those two things are synonymous. And as long as I'm walking side by side with the Lord, I'm walking in the light. But inevitably, my flesh, which wants to do sin, is filled with darkness, and I have fleshly habits that are just wrong. And so I come to a fork in the road in my daily dealings. And Jesus is just going to keep walking in light, keep walking in truth. And my flesh wants to veer off and go down the other path. So now am I walking in truth if Jesus is over there? And my fleshly habits have taken me over here? I'm not. I have to backtrack. And I have to deny my flesh. And I have to go back to walking with Jesus. Can I tell you the biggest struggle that I have as a Christian man? Going a full 24-hour day and walking in truth the entire time. It's hard. Well, I want to get upset. I want to lose my cool. I need to take Brother Vara's anger management class. There are times I really do. Boy, I want to be lazy sometimes. You know what? I'm just going to be honest with you all tonight. I don't really enjoy praying sometimes. I'd rather just not do it. I get down to pray, and my flesh wants to do everything but pray. Can you all relate with me tonight? You know what I'm talking about? It's not always easy living the Christian life. 
And, and, and uh, John said here to Gaius, he said, I rejoice that you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy, John said, than to hear that my children walk in truth. We see that Gaius' honor was not that he was talented. We see here that Gaius' honor was not that he was a great public speaker and boy, he could fill up a class and he had a charming personality. We see here that Gaius' honor was not that he was some super duper Christian with a winsome smile that was funny, that could uh, 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 give big offerings to the church. No, Gaius' honor, listen now, Gaius' honor was that he walked in the truth. And John said, boy, that makes me joyous. Number three, and last, lastly, notice his hospitality. His hospitality. Look at verse number five. Third John. Beloved, thou hast dealt faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Now, John will reprimand Diotrephes here in the next few minutes because he refused to allow housing for housing to be given to preachers of the gospel traveling through the area. He refused to allow that to happen. But Gaius had followed the opposite model. The home of Gaius was always open to anyone who in like fashion was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And John was praising Gaius for being hospitable. What does it mean to be hospitable? I lived in a little town in Alabama called uh, named Hartzell, Hartzell, Alabama. I went through there a few years ago uh, and enjoyed that. Uh, when you pull off of Interstate 65, off the exit ramp there, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a sign greeting you to Hartzell. And on the bottom, it's, bottom of the sign, it says this, Home of Southern Hospitality. Home of Southern Hospitality. I loved going soul winning uh, in Alabama because everyone thought they were saved. Even if they weren't, they thought they were. They all knew the word. They all claimed to be a Baptist. And uh, you'd knock on their door and little old grandma would invite you in and she'd let you pet her dog and drink sweet tea. And well, you'd, uh, you'd see all the pictures and then you'd find out after 30 minutes that she was saved and you know, you'd wasted 30 minutes of your time. Everyone's hospitable. Everyone's kind. But what does that mean, hospitality? Here's uh, what the, the dictionary, here's how the dictionary defines the word hospitality. The quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. This morning, uh, we talked about bearing the infirmities of the weak. We discussed the importance of giving back to others who will never give back to you. Letter A, notice, it pleases God. Hospitality pleases God. Uh, look at verse number 5. It says there, Be Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren, and to strangers. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain. There's that idea of hospitality. To entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. When you see someone in need, what is your uh, default action? What is your default attitude? Is it to stop and help them or is it to reject them? Reject them. I know um, when I was younger, I'd see someone who was poor, and I'd look down my little nose at him and think, oh, you just, you just need to go get a job. I remember the other day I was in Wallingford, 
And uh, there's a Home Depot and Lowe's right across the street from each other. And in the parking lot of the Home Depot, there is a Chick-fil-A. Can I get an amen? And I went through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and I came out, and I'm sitting there at the red light, and there is a Help Wanted sign for the Home Depot, and there's a Help Wanted sign for the Lowe's, and on the corner is a man holding a sign that says, Homeless, Help Wanted. And I remember thinking to myself, they're hiring, and they're hiring, and you're standing here begging for money. And I had to stop and say, that's not the attitude a Christian's supposed to have. Do you remember that when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, what did Jesus tell him? He said, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Not turn up your nose at them. Not be snobbish. Well, there's a lot, a lot in the Bible that talks about taking care of the poor. Taking care of the poor. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, "...which have borne..." Speaking of Gaius, "...which have borne witness of thy uh, charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey..." Look at this next phrase. "...after a godly sort, thou shalt do well." Warren Wearsby said, "...we are never more godlike than when we are sacrificing to serve others." We are never more godlike than when we are sacrificing to serve others. Take your Bibles over to uh, Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 40. Jesus told his disciples that there would be people uh, who would be hospitable their direction. He said, one day you'll be uh, spiritual leaders walking around without me. And you'll be doing the work of heaven here on earth. And you will have people who are members of churches. You will have people who are good Christian believers who will reach out to be hospitable your direction. He instructed them not to reject such hospitality. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse number 40. It says, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me, or receiveth the Father. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give uh, to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water uh, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose His reward. What about when we have a good Christian uh, um, leader come through our area? You know what Gaius would do? Gaius would say, you don't need to stay at the hotel down the road. You can stay right here with me. I'll take care of you. Look at verse number 8. 3 John, verse number 8. We therefore ought to receive... uh, we, we We therefore ought to receive such... That we might be, look at that next word. Can we say it out loud together? Let me start back over at the beginning of the verse. And when I get to that word, let's all enthusiastically read it together. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers. Fellow helpers to the truth. Fellow helpers. Now, I hope this point's not missed on, uh, on you all tonight. And if you don't take anything else from the message, I hope you'll get this. Some Christians don't feel as though they have much to offer the Lord or much to offer the church. They become discouraged because they don't feel like they can do anything real well. 
I can't play the piano like Miss Bernice or Miss Rachel or Miss Sochi, or I can't sing, you know, like the Selena's family or Miss Rachel Brush, or you know, I, I'm really not good with babies in the nursery. And boy, if I got on that bus route, I'd, I'd just have a meltdown. I I wouldn't be able to do that, and I can't usher. The pastor might call on me to pray, and I could just barely show up to church, and I can't do anything at church. I, I really, I would if I could. Pastor, I feel useless. What can I do? Uh, can you host a missionary? When they come into town. Can you, can you house a guest speaker in your home? Can, can you give up your vehicle for a day or two or three? So that when we have a missionary in town, they have wheels. Or a guest speaker in town, they have wheels to get around. And are not just dependent on the pastor and his schedule to get them around. Can you give of your finances in the offering uh, to help support them as they move down the road and on to the next thing? Listen, folks, I'm trying to teach the Bible exactly how it's written in the context of how it was written. And I think you'll get a better idea of it next week when we get into Diotrephes, who was just stonewalling any traveler who came through who was a preacher of the truth and would not let them stay with any of the church members' home. And John thought it was important enough to write an entire letter to Gaius and say, Gaius, I'm glad that in the face of Diotrephes, you're being hospitable to people who come through the area. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are a fellow helper to the truth. Hospitality is Christianity. It just is. My stuff and my things and, and I can't let my things get messed up. And Are they really ours? They're not ours, are they? Boy, my car isn't mine, it's the Lord's. My house isn't mine, it's the Lord's. Uh, my money isn't mine, it's the Lord's. My possessions are not mine, they're the Lord's. And listen, if I can use my uh, goods to further the kingdom of heaven by helping another preacher or leader, spiritual leader, then by, uh, by, by the will of God, I ought to take those things and give to make it happen. Letter A, hospitality pleases God. Letter B, notice lastly, hospitality promotes Christ. Hospitality promotes Christ. Look at verse number 7. Because that for His name's sake, they, these are preachers of the gospel, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles here represent the lost. These preachers didn't have to take, didn't have to put their hand out to the Gentiles because of people like you, Gaius, you helped take care of their needs. The honest truth is that a preacher should never, ever, ever have to lean on the lost to pay his way through life. Just shouldn't have to do it. We never pressure lost people who are visiting this church to put a dime in the offering plate. And there are very few exceptions to ever pushing or promoting people from without the church to support the mission of the church. The truth is, it is a bad testimony when a preacher has to go to lost sinners to buy him a meal or to house him or to pay uh, to get his car fixed, Christians should take care of their own. Christians should take care of their own. Now, when the lost can see that we reverence and honor and take care of our own spiritual leaders, you know what it does? It makes our message that much more attractive. Gaius, Gaius was not a pastor. 
Gaius, maybe, he didn't even teach a Sunday school class. For all we know, Gaius just showed up on Sunday and sat on the pew, got involved and served where he could. He may have been one of those stage crew Christians, out of the, out of the spotlight. But you know what Gaius was? Gaius was an encourager. Boy, he did his part to help the cause of the church move forward. Why? Not because he was flashy, but because he was a man who walked in truth. He was a man who modeled a godly testimony, and he was a man who was hospitable to others who were promoting the gospel message. Why do Baptist Church, the book of 3 John, is written to you? Gaius was praised because of these things. Where can we grow? Where can we be better? Boy, are we being an encouragement for the cause of Christ. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I pray that you take these verses, these eight verses we looked at tonight, of your humble servant Gaius, probably was embarrassed to find out that his name was even in the Bible. Lord, a man who was more concerned about walking in truth than being popular. A man who was more concerned about encouraging his pastor, his spiritual leader. And Lord, encouraging those around him than he was anything else. Lord, the church has not become effective by a bunch of prima donna Christians. The church becomes effective when we are filled with individuals who are consumed with being humble and godly. Help us, Lord, to take from the sermon tonight that we will do our part to be hospitable. Lord, we'll do our part to live honorable lives. We'll do our part to be spiritually strong. Lord, work in the heart of each person tonight. Show us where we can grow, where we can do better. In Jesus' name, amen.